Okay, if you would please open your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, today we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 5. If uh, you haven't been here since we've started in Colossians, this is, just so you know, part of a series titled Christ is All. And uh, our purpose statement for the book is that we would reach knowing Christ together with such full conviction that we be beyond the reach of all deception. That's why Paul wrote this letter. That's why we're here to discover how Christ is all, all that we have in Him, and how the world can touch none of it. We're after Christ and Christ alone. So today we're looking at Colossians 2 again, verses 1 to 5. Let's read together. Hear the word of the Lord. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, Paul was writing from Roman imprisonment, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His help. Father, we need your grace and we need your mercy. Father, this passage, these words are so massive that we cannot grasp them truly without you. And so we pray, Father, that you would give to us your Holy Spirit. And from him, that spiritual understanding and spiritual discernment in these spiritual things These are the things of heaven and not of earth, the things of God and not of man. So to get them, to comprehend them, to be transformed by them, we need you. We thank you for your grace and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we... I I want you to look at verse 3 again real quick. It says, In whom, speaking of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is, Jesus is the center of all things, all physical reality and all spiritual reality cannot be perceived rightly apart from Christ. And if Jesus is the center of all reality of all things, then... As his people, he certainly should be the center of our lives. And so as we begin, and what, let me say real quick, what a, what a compact statement that is. What a beautiful statement that is. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember that one. Hang on to that verse and there will be so many opportunities in life to, to bring that up again and preach it to yourself. Anyway, 
As we begin, I, I want to ask a, a whole bunch of questions as a way to gauge how our lives are centered on Christ or not. Are our lives centered on Jesus or is our thinking and our knowing and our living shaped more by the world? So if tomorrow you suddenly learned irrefutably that Jesus did not in fact rise from the dead, that in death he had actually perished, would your life stay on its current course or would it be massively overhauled, massively altered? Would no Jesus bring upheaval to your purposes and your plans and your passions as they currently stand? Or would they remain largely untouched? If Jesus is at the center of your life and then you learned that he wasn't there at all anywhere, wouldn't your life change going forward? Would dreaming and aspiring and striving be the same if the Lord of all of your aims was gone? Would childbearing and child-raising and marrying and burying be the same without Him as with Him? Would academics learning and job working and income earning and community serving look the same? Would breathing and sleeping, eating and drinking look the same without Him as with Him? Would laughing and crying, gaining and losing be the same? Would science and music have the same meaning? Would there still be love? Would goodness and beauty and truth make sense just the same without Him as with Him? Or would all of your life crumble apart if He was not? And everything lose its meaning and purpose and value. You see, this impossible hypothetical, let me say that, impossible hypothetical can help us gauge how much of who I am and how I think and live is centered on Jesus. If in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and in our impossible hypothetical, Jesus was suddenly not, shouldn't everything you know suddenly change? Or would our knowing and our living not change because our living and our knowing are worldly already? How much of you is centered on Jesus? How much of what you know is known through Jesus? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? If in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, how much of what you know is known through Him? Is Jesus part of your life? Or is He life? Is Jesus some to you? Or is Jesus all to you? That's the last thing that the spiritual powers who are waging war on you want. Jesus, all to you. That's the last thing that they want. The spiritual powers, and we're going to talk a bit more about them. You need to take them seriously. They are waging war against you, and it's unseen war, and perhaps as people of sense, physical sense, perhaps largely unfelt. 
as far as our physical senses go. But of course, we should be people of spiritual sense too. In any case, they're waging war on you and you have to take them seriously. You cannot write them off. And what they want for you is that you have an individualistic and a syncretistic faith, not a Christocentric faith. They don't want you to make the faith your own, but they want for you to make your own faith. They don't want you to be all in on Jesus and you to find in Jesus all, but they want for you to, they want you to diversify your faith investments. A little in Jesus here, a little in the world there, and so on. The spiritual powers who oppose you are aiming for a divided heart. But here's the message of Colossians. Christ is all. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's just amazing. If you if you haven't really picked this up already, how this language permeates, this all language permeates this whole letter. All, fullness, wholeness, complete, etc. It's all through this letter. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so let us strive to reach knowing Christ together with such full conviction that we're beyond the reach of all deception. We're going to start our study in this text this morning with uh, the two verses that bookend this paragraph. I'm going to read verse 1 again and verse 5 again, and then we'll look at them together. And then we'll look at the three middle verses, which are really the heart of the paragraph. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which was a city close by Colossae, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul was contending for the faith of the Colossians and the Laodiceans. He had this report from his friend Epaphras that the Colossians had received the, the, the gospel as the word of truth from God. And, and remember from chapter 1, it had borne great fruit in them. So even as these false teachers, which we're going to see more of in chapter 2, even as these false teachers were beginning to encroach on them, yet Paul says, you can see in verse 5, that their faith in Jesus remained firm. To use the language of the end of chapter 1, they were continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that they heard. Paul rejoiced in all of that. So to use one commentator's metaphor, this letter is a vaccination against heresy, not an antibiotic for those who are already afflicted. So here's a question to ask in light of verse 5. Why, if they were doing so well in the faith, holding so firmly to Christ, is Paul, as he says in verse 1, struggling so hard? If they're doing so well, why is he struggling so hard? And the reason is this, because Satan is anything but lazy. He's fighting hard 
And he fights dirty. And every move he makes is deceptive. You and I are in a fight. And it's a fight that we must take seriously. You're not a spectator on the sidelines. You are in the fight. Let me use this analogy. It's like in life we are, we are climbing all the way to glory. We're climbing up this mountain to glory. And there's hardship along the way. But it's not just natural, the natural elements that we are fighting against as we go. You say, uh, gravity and a cold biting wind and just this sheer rock face, you know, all being against us. And, and those things say being the equivalent of, um, hard times and hard people in our lives. It's not just the natural elements that we are fighting as we go to glory. It is also these unseen spiritual powers against us who are animating the world. And they come alongside us. And they tell us that they know a better route to take to glory. And they can improve our climb and make us better climbers. And they know you. They know you very well. The spiritual powers know all about you. They know what your passions are and they know how to appeal to those passions. To lure you away from the one who is your strength to climb and the one who is your hope in climbing. They know how to get you away from Christ. And all the while that they are promising you this and that, deceptively they're cutting away at the ropes that are holding you and me. We have to take this fight seriously. Do not write off those who are against us, the spiritual powers. It's a fight. So in verse 2, Paul tells us what he is fighting for, what his struggle is for. He says that his struggle is for our hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul was struggling hard to make Jesus known. We must struggle hard to know Him. Are you struggling hard to know Christ? Do you have this zeal for Christ? Are you after Christ? I think that if we would really comprehend the zeal that God has toward us, if you would comprehend the zeal that He has for you, you would return all zeal within you back to Him. If we would know truly His love and the passion of His love for us. I mean, God setting His love on us in eternity, Christ condescending to us in human flesh, Christ dying in that flesh for us, in our place upon the cross, He didn't do those things just because He had nothing better to do on those days. The seal that God has for us. And He is coming after us. He is coming again to us in zeal. When He comes again, will He find us after Him, pursuing Him, looking for Him? What are we after? Again, our hearts. Look at verse 2. This is such a verse, man. Knit together in love, 
reaching for all the riches that are found in the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This is big, isn't it? What we're after, it's big. It's a tall order. It, it is. I mean, to sum it up, we're, we're after heaven. We're, we're reaching for all that makes heaven, heaven. That's what we're after. So to unpack this verse, which is so big, you know, Paul piling on all these prepositional phrases, what we're going to do is, um, well, when Sheree and I used to uh, shop on Mondays, ever since the boys came along, that kind of largely stopped. But when we used to go out on Mondays, we'd go shopping out to eat afterward, We'd go to Walmart and Ruston sometimes. And whenever we'd go to that particular Walmart for groceries, we'd start at the back and work our way toward the front. Every other store was kind of just random and haphazard. I don't know why this was different. There's something about how it's flipped or something. I don't know. Anyway, we'd start at the back and work our way to the front. We're going to do that with this verse. We're going to start at the back of the verse and work our way toward the front. And that will help us, I think, to be able to piece things together better. Okay, so here's what we are reaching for. To understand and know God's mystery, which is Christ and all of God's work through Him. We're to know Him. That's what we're after. Knowing Christ. And Paul calls what we are to know a mystery. So, there, he's really alluding to the Old Testament and how all through the past history before Jesus came, what God's work would be and how Jesus, God would work through Christ His Son, it was all concealed in a way. So it was a mystery. And I want to start there. Actually, let's start in an eternity past and work our way forward. We're to know Him, the Eternal Son, who is the image of God, who counseled in triune will with the Father and Spirit to save a people who are made in the divine image, who rebelled against their Maker, who would rather have the devil's promises than God's, and who would rather in time have Barabbas the murderer instead of Jesus the author of life. We are to know Him who was promised to mankind from the very first human transgression. We're to know Him who was prefigured in Abraham's only son Isaac, who laid down on the altar in obedience to his father. And we're to know Him who was also prefigured in that ram who died in Isaac's place. We're to know Him whose coming was prefigured in Isaac's son Jacob, who had this dream of a ladder reaching to heaven and the angels of heaven ascending and descending upon it, the way to God and the place of God, Bethel, the house of God, were to know Him who was prefigured in that dream. We're to know Him who was also prefigured in Jacob's son Joseph, who was sent into Egypt by God to save many people alive in the famine. And we're to know Him who is also prefigured in the bread for which all the nations came. We're to know Him who was prefigured in tabernacle 
and temple glory in the dwelling place of God. We're to know Him who is prefigured in the priests who offered, offered sacrifices there and in the sacrifices which are offered in the place of the people. Let's skip forward. New Testament. We're to know Him who took on flesh conceived by the Spirit, born to the Virgin in a Bethlehem barn. We're after Him to know Him who grew up like us, who was tempted in every way like us, but sinned not at all. We're to know Him whose Word announced the kingdom and worked kingdom wonders, healing disease and stilling storm and reversing death even, and forgiving sin. Who forgave sinners because He loves sinners. We're to know Him who entered Jerusalem humbly, heralded as King, heralded as King, who was arrested, who was tortured, who was crucified in the shame of nakedness and sin guilt of which He was innocent. We're after Him to know Him who took the cup of God's wrath and drank it dry in His death. Who was buried. Who on the third day rose. Who restored every follower who scattered at His arrest and sent them out His apostles. We're to know Him who ascended to glory who poured out the Spirit, who is still calling to sinners and redeeming for Himself a people from every nation and every tribe and every language. We're to know Him who dwells in us now by faith, who is King, who is coming back. We're to know Him, the One through whom God accomplishes all of His work. And that work is summed up in two words. The mystery once concealed, now the Gospel openly proclaimed. This is what we're after Jesus. We're after Christ. Now let's back up a little bit. You know, we're working our way toward the front of the verse. What comes from knowing Christ? Understanding and knowing Christ together will bring us, Paul says, full assurance. Full assurance. That is, and that's where I'm drawing my word conviction from in our purpose statement. It means the same thing. The full assurance, the full conviction. In truly knowing Him, we know that we know Him. That's the full conviction. We know, and we know that we know. And nothing can move us from this knowledge. Nothing can move us from Christ. With this full assurance of Jesus and what He has done, who He is for us, we know that one day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, so we're not going anywhere. We know that we know, and we're not going to be moved. It's Christ in all, or nothing at all for us. There's no in-between. We have the full conviction. I, I hope that you can follow my train of thought. But with this, this full conviction in our hearts, we know that nothing would make sense without Him. So that if Jesus wasn't, not only would we lose our first love, but we would lose all love. 
How could love make sense apart from Jesus if we didn't have love from him and through him and to him? What is anything if Jesus isn't anymore? Because everywhere we look, we see his work. Everything that I am hoping for in this life, I am hoping in Christ. In truth, he's revealed to us. In beauty, he is reflected to us. In goodness, he's received. It's all from him and through him and to him. He is all of life. And we know that we know. We have the full assurance. We have the conviction. That comes from knowing him. We know that we know. Nothing can move us. Let's back it up even further. Knowing him gives rise to the full assurance. And out of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of him are riches. All riches. That's what we're after. All the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of, uh, knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And don't misunderstand. These are the true riches, but they're not found apart from Him. They're all in Him. Now, we're preaching the prosperity gospel. Paul likes this word riches. He uses it 14 times in his letters. 12 or 13 letters. Makes up about half of the books of the New Testament. Half of the times he uses this word, riches, he uses it in two letters. Ephesians and Colossians. Let me give you an example of this word riches. This is what we have in Christ. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us, God made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, we are after these riches together. All the riches of knowing Him and knowing that we know Him. And already we have so much. We possess great riches. We're no longer conformed to this world, but we are being transformed. Our minds being renewed in Christ. We have stability where this world is going crazy. We have found our fullness and our completeness where the world is floundering in a mad search for its identity. His perfect love has cast away all our guilt as far as east is from west. And His perfect love is casting out all of our fears. We have love in a world that is endlessly selfish. We have joy from heaven in a world that's bitter and angry. We have peace in a world that is constantly wondering, confused. We have patience in a world that is stressed and running on fumes. We have kindness in a world that 
is plain nice. We have goodness in a world that is corrupting every good. We have faithfulness in a world that is only out for itself. We have gentleness in a world that beats up the weak. We have self-control in a world that is craving every satisfaction from God but God. Already, and we could go on and on and on, we possess great riches. It's Jesus now, more of Jesus still ahead. We find in Christ all of this because, verse 3 now, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul doesn't hold back, does he? He is after all. He is all out for nothing less than all. What are you all out for? What what consumes you? What has your heart? What grips you? What captivates you? What is your prize? What are you after? Together, let us go after Christ. He says again, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul, he is toiling and he is struggling to make Jesus known to us. You look at this world around us. The world is toiling and struggling too. But to know and to have wisdom apart from Jesus. So what is the world doing now? How does the world talk these days? It is speaking of all of the things that we used to hold so dear as a society. You know, even the the fundamental things of civilization as social constructs. Marriage is a social construct. Gender is a social construct. Even you call, you know, truth, that's a, a social construct. You can construct it how you want. What they mean is we're going to do this without Jesus. They say that a creator creating is just an ancient fable and nothing is simply right and wrong. Marriage can be what we want. Gender, what we make of it. Truth is what we create. Purpose, how we like it. But listen again to what Paul says. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you think they're going to land on anything apart from Jesus? Anything solid? Anything true? There's no discovery without Jesus. There's no, let's back up, there's no debate without Jesus. There's no back and forth communication without Jesus. There's no knowledge without Jesus. There is no meaning apart from Christ. There are no words. There is no being without Jesus. There's no reality apart from Him. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All physical reality and all spiritual reality come from Him and are upheld by Him. Christ is not just a name in history. He is the one that all history is for. His are the plans and He is the plan. All being and true knowing are in Him. He's not just our reference point. He is the frame of all reference. The only lens through which we can perceive reality rightly. So Paul says, finally, I say this in order 
that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Let's uh, get this straight right now. Um, We mean plausible sounding arguments. They're arguments that sound sound, but they're not actually sound. But they do sound sound. Don't be surprised when the world puts forth massive effort to master falsehood. Don't be surprised that tremendous intellect and massive effort can be poured into propagating lies. Lies which are intellectually appealing and and beautifully composed and stunningly presented. Really, don't be surprised. Do you think that the enemy of our souls is going to put forth a little bit of effort to deceive us? No, he's going to take all of God's gifts, latch onto all of them, twist and corrupt them all. So the falsehood is going to be incredibly deceiving. That's what our enemy does. And when we're talking about our enemy, we're not talking about flesh and blood. Listen, this is one thing that the church, especially in the Bible Belt, the conservative church, needs to understand. Liberals are not the enemy. Darwinists are not the enemy. Progressivists are not the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we're striving and we're struggling and we must strive and struggle together to reach knowing Christ together with such full conviction that we are beyond the reach of all deception. Who's not going to be deluded? the ones who are in this with the church, striving with the church after Christ so that we know Him together and together we know that we know Him and we uncover in Him great riches. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What a... um, What a passage this is. What a paragraph in Colossians chapter 2. I want to encourage you to meditate upon it a little further. One thing that might be helpful is to take verse 2 and write it down in kind of a, a descending order of these prepositional phrases and see how they all fit together and how what the sum of it means. I, I don't want you to just come into the church and or even live your Christian life being spoon-fed. You must not make your own faith, but make the faith definitely your own. And then we don't do this pursuing Christ simply as individuals. It's not an individualistic faith, but we do this together as the church. And we thank God for what He has revealed to us through His Son. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus, Your Son. The mystery once concealed, but now the Gospel made plain and announced to us through His apostles. 
Father, I, I praise you that we have Paul's letter to the Colossians as the very word of God to us. I pray that who Jesus is, what we have in him as revealed in this letter would be our meditation. I pray that my church family would be encouraged to get after Christ. And not just on their own, on their own, but also together as a church. May this be a a fellowship of pursuing after Jesus. Father, help us. Give to us your Holy Spirit. And um, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be so fortified against deception that the world and our own flesh and the spiritual powers against us would have not a chance of turning us away from Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name and for His glory. Amen.